people in the wake of the ambulance then as the traffic parts. So I did this for a period, but then down near Canning Town, you know, the lanes become really quite narrow, and there's just no way for the traffic to part anymore, and the ambulance is stuck. On its blues and twos, it can't get to where it needs to go. I waited for a while, and then I, because I'm on the motorbike, I skipped around and proceeded, and about a mile further on, I came across the incident uh, that was causing the traffic jam. A motorcyclist had gone under a vehicle. Uh, I couldn't do anything about it because of where I was riding at the time. Um, uh, but as I passed by, I was upset. I was really not happy. Um, you know, here was the ambulance couldn't get to where it needed to be, and this motorcyclist needed help. Uh, and I wrestled with that all day, and I decided to do something about it. I didn't write a letter of protest or something like that. Instead, I thought, what can I do? Where are the motorbike paramedics? And so I looked into that. Where are, the, where are the quick responders, the community responders? I looked into it, and that's when I discovered the scheme called Community First Responding, um, which, uh, mo- which mobilises volunteers uh, who, are, who have some limited medical training to answer 999 calls in their community. Uh, we don't actually use motorbikes to respond. We use our cars. But the point is, um, I, I felt this discontent with what I'd seen. I wasn't happy with the situation. I looked into it. And as a result, I became a community responder. And, and uh, typically on, on Thursday evenings and Saturdays in this area, I answer 999 calls, and usually getting there before the ambulance and then assisting the crews. So that was something that happened to me three years ago from a source of, of discontent. And um, what I want to do, because I'm only going to share for about 10 or 15 minutes and then hand over to Jamie, I just want us to look for a moment at this issue of being discontent. Okay? Uh, let's have a look. Have we, got, have we got action? That pledge that we've looked at several times this morning, I hereby declare that I agree to embark on an adventure. I invite the Holy Spirit to make me discontent with the status quo. Now, um, I don't know about you. Um, <clears throat> just come back one bit. Right, sorry, I'm um, I was talking with a friend uh, this week, and she said, Anthony, this spirit of adventure, you could tell from the sigh. You know... Life's tough. There's a lot of stuff going on. Sometimes it feels like all I can do just to keep the show on the road, you know, and the idea of suddenly being energised and tooled up to go on an adventure, it's not really where I'm at at the moment. And uh, maybe some of you are feeling like that as well. Uh, You know, life can be difficult, different seasons for each of us. But then she went on to remark about uh, some friends who uh, live overseas and, and the state of their life, and, and they thought they were doing well, lived in a nice country, but they had some family issues. And as she spoke, I heard a discontent within her, and, and she said, and they're coming to spend some time here, and I'm desperate for them to encounter community and to see what life can be like. And I said, but that's it. That's God has identified a discontent within you and has birthed some faith and some hope that you can share something of what community is for, for these people, these friends overseas. So I thought that was quite interesting. 
Um, just a very quick recap where we're fitting in here then. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, this spirit of adventure, it's not just a, one or two t- teachings. John's quite clear. This is a whole season that we're embarking on here. Uh, it will feel daring. It will feel risky at times. Uh, you remember the teaching we had? There's a need to get our timing right. We've got to be prepared to risk some things. Uh, you remember what we, we, we shared last week? There's the thing we've been looking at again today. So I just want to share with us a little bit more about discontent. It's important to recognise what is driving our discontent. Because there are two faces, aren't there? You know, the bad side of discontent comes from a human reaction, our flesh. And the good side of discontent can be driven by the spirit. Now, one carries the heart of God, and the other carries the heart of man. And, you know, it could be argued, couldn't it, that the referendum vote this week was largely driven by discontent. Human discontent will manifest itself in frustration, finger-pointing, a problem orientation, gossip, unforgiveness. That's the kind of posture from a human discontent. But what's our posture if our discontent is driven by the Holy Spirit? Well, that's totally different, isn't it? That's a discontent that has faith-filled action. It's solution-orientated. There's forgiveness and there's can-do and there's possibilities when our discontent comes from a God motivation. Now, um, let's hear from Nehemiah. Uh, this Nehemiah is a female. <clears throat> Don't let that distract you. Here is an excerpt of what Nehemiah felt when she heard the report of the devastation amongst her people back in Jerusalem. Okay. His reply... The exile survivors who are left there in the province are in bad shape. Conditions are appalling. The wall of Jerusalem is still rubble. The city gates are still cinders. I felt as if someone had punched me in the stomach, winded, cut to the core. My heart broke. I'm not ashamed to admit it either, but I wept. How could this be happening on my watch while I'm around? I didn't need the detail. As soon as I heard this news, I got it. I understood. I saw only too clearly the vulnerability facing my people in Jerusalem. They no longer had the patronage and protection issued under Ezra. They were exposed, vulnerable, defenseless, and at the whim of regional dictators, outsiders, malevolent opportunists. I was staggered. How could it be that after all this time, 150 years, and the wall was still in ruins. Ezra had gone before me to sort out the rebuilding of the temple, but things had somehow come to a standstill. How were the community coping? 
Just imagine living in rubble, in ruin, in devastation, where your normal is living in a war zone. Debris everywhere. What does it do to your spirit, your focus, your courage, your self-esteem? To your children, to your elders, your household, leaving you open to attack, vulnerable. Imagine no protection for the women and children, no secure surroundings, no good food, no special attention, no special measures, no privilege. I had to do something. I couldn't, I wouldn't, didn't want to forget my people and their plight. A discontent birthed by the Holy Spirit, yeah? You heard it there. Nehemiah could have said, it's been like that for 150 years. It's, it's, oh, it's been like that for ages. Nehemiah could have said, um, it's a long way away. I'm over here. That's all happening over there. Nehemiah could have said, Ezra's gone to the rescue. He'll sort it out. Could have said any of those. But when he heard the report, the Holy Spirit moved him with a spirit of discontent to do something. And as we know, Nehemiah's call to action was risky, it was faith-filled, it was daring, it was very much an adventure. Did you hear two of those phrases that Nehemiah said? How could this happen on my watch while I am around? I was trying to think of the example, I'm sorry I can't, but occasionally, you know, when John's teaching, he'll, re- he'll mention an issue in, in, you know, British society that, that angers him, that stirs him. And I'll be listening, I'll think, yeah, I heard that news item. And I didn't see what he's seen. You know, we need the sightedness that, that would stir us. How could this be happening on my watch while I'm around? Now, I don't know Rotherham. I don't know the churches of Rotherham at all. So I'm not making any comment on them. But that report into sexual abuse there said there were 1,400 young girls abused. Now, Rotherham is just a little bit bigger, I checked, than Barking and Dagenham. You know, and if I was, you know, a church leader in Rotherham, I'd think, how could this happen on my watch? 1,400 young girls sexually abused. And perhaps, you know, people didn't see it, people chose to turn a blind eye, all sorts of issues. But we are here in Barking and Dagenham, and we've got a mandate and a commission to be adventurous. Is there something we're not seeing? Is there something we might have turned a blind eye to? Is there something that would cause us to say, how could this be happening? Not on my watch. If you get a chance to chat with Avril, it's quite inspiring uh, listening to the regular conversations that she has with leaders in the area um, who are, you know, the, the civic authorities in, this, in these days, and especially in this area, they're embattled right now, okay? Whether you're talking about health, police, education, uh, and especially local government, they, are re- they feel embattled. They are in lockdown, trying to reorganise themselves, and their sense of vision for the borough might be there in words and in rhetoric, but in action, it's, it's missing. And if you teach people like Avril, she's not only got a prophetic voice to these people who want to hear from her, she's also got that 
um, solution orientation. And, of course, Community Connect is one of our solutions to help in this. And did you hear the other thing that, Ezra, uh, that Nehemiah said? Just imagine how would it be, imagine how would it be, that ability to think, what must it be like for these people? So, um, it's good to get God's perspective. Let's just hear the next 30 seconds of what Nehemiah did. I needed that time of prayer to confess, to ask for forgiveness for myself and on behalf of my people. We were all culpable in some way or other. I wanted to get God's perspective on the situation, to get myself in the right mind, attitude, disposition, to ask God for his strategy, his focus. After all, I needed to know how to navigate and negotiate the conversation with the king. It was four months that, ne uh, that Nehemiah spent praying and fasting, but you can hear why. I needed to hear God. I needed to feel his heart. I needed to know the strategy and the tactics. And um, this is a good time to be praying and fasting for the discontent that you feel, for the adventure that God would take you on. I think it's worth me pausing here just to give you all a chance just to think. What is that discontent? The one that's stirred by the Holy Spirit, not the human fleshly discontent. What is that thing that God is stirring in you? Just allow him now to remind you of it. Father, just show people now. Just show them, Father, what it is that you're stirring in them. The discontent might be with themselves or something in their family, something in their workplace, their school, their community. Lord, we choose not to sweep it aside. Choose not to turn away from it. We might not know what to do with it, Lord, but we just proclaim it. We just say, yeah, this is from you. Ask God to show you something you've not seen. Lord, is there something we're not seeing? Is there something I'm not seeing, Father? Is there something that would cause me to say, this can't be happening on my watch, not while I'm around. Not while I'm around. So, it'd be good to talk with your mentors, your friends, your development groups about that. It'd be good to continue to pray and fast. Seek God on it. One more interesting thing. Um, Moses, right? And the Israelites. So he'd seen the promised land. He knew about the promised land. Um, God had said to him, I'm going to go ahead of you. 
and I'm going to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. I'm going to go and smash them all. I'm going to go ahead of you. And there's that land flowing with milk and honey. Go to it. Now, if that was you or I, right, we've just been having a torrid time in the wilderness, year in, year out, decade in, decade out, with these stiff-necked people that have been a real problem. And finally, God says, there it is, and I've sent my angel ahead of you, going to rout the enemies. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Are you ready to go? Let's go. I'd be like, yeah, bring it on. I think I've had enough in the wilderness. Do you remember what Moses said? If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send me. Do not send me. Because God had said, I'm not going to go with you because you're a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you along the way. Opportunity to go to a land flowing with milk and honey. Yes! Opportunity to see all our enemies routed. Yes! Opportunity to get out of this wilderness. Yes! But I'm not going with you. Choice. Moses said, man, if you're not going with me, we're not going to go. Because the discontent there with Moses was like, above all else, God, come with me. When we do it. So, that little story about community first responding was, you know, three years ago. And of course, I'm like you. I'm having to say, Lord, is there something you're stirring within me? And I didn't even want to share this because it's, you know, for me, it's a bit scary and. You know, it's easy to think all the reasons why it won't happen. Um, but, you know, this is what we're called to do at the moment. We're called to confess to one another the, the, the discontent and what God might be stirring. We don't have to have all the answers. It doesn't have to be fully formed. But, you know, if there's a, an epidemic or a disaster or an emergency or some civil need in this area, Barking, Dagenham, Redbridge, Havering, I want to see the church mobilized really well. We've got the connections, the people, the hearts. We could mobilize people in the event of any kind of emergency, attack, trauma, flood, fire, whatever it is. But I don't think, I'm pretty sure, that what needs to be in place for that isn't in place. Yeah? Um, and, and yeah, I'm thinking, that's what I want to see. I want. I want the health authority and the police and the local authority to be able to pick up the bat phone in their moment of need and we can mobilise, as you can... I mean, you know, obviously there's something in me that enjoys responding to emergency situations. I know I get that, but just put that aside. Because God said to us, oh, oh, that's good, some new thoughts just come to me. When the leaders were away and Hugh Osgood was sharing those things... There was one word of God that came to us, and it, we've not revisited it yet. Make an awesome one. We ought to come back and look at this. It was uh, about a rescue party. Do you remember? What was that phrase now? It was God. What was the phrase? It was about we would be preparing a rescue party. I can't remember any more than that. We'll have to look it up. But the sense was. The call will come to us soon, I reckon. The call will come. And are we going to be ready? 
We don't know what it's going to look like, but that sense of readiness. So I'm just sharing, you know, you can see, I'm sharing what's in my heart, a discontent that at the moment the police or the local authority, they might not pick up the phone and say, we need help. But when they do, I want us, the churches across this whole area and the faith groups to be able to say, we're on it and make it happen, yeah? Um, Anyway, so there's my story. (laughs) Yeah, those are pretty much the things I wanted to share. So have you got that? All right, a discontent that comes from a right source, the Holy Spirit. An opportunity to pray, to fast and seek God, to declare it to be risky, to have an adventure and to uh, capture something of Nehemiah's heart there and something of Moses' heart. This cannot be, not while it's not on my watch, not while I'm around, I'm going to go for it. Lord, come with us. I want a catchphrase like, come on, Anthony. No, it doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right. You can do it. Yeah. Okay. Hello, everyone. Um, I wanted to, um, again, uh, build on what we've been talking about, the spirit of adventure. And I think that's really helpful what Anthony's saying about unpacking what it meant to be discontent. Um, There's lots of things we can be discontent with. Only some of those things are what God's inspiring us to be discontent with. Right. Today, I want to, I want to emphasize something Dad said last week on the topic of risking his, uh, risking, risked his life on a roll of a dice. Um, I want to give you a story on that, and then I want to talk to you about um, heads or tails. And that's an attitude that we can have when it, we're coming to an adventure, and I want to give you my thoughts on what a head or a tail think like, um, how to step into our identity as a head, and then what I'm expecting for this year. So... Let's kick off with that. Oh, I've got the clicker. Have I? Doesn't seem to be. Oh, okay. Okay, so this this was um, a phrase that Dad said last time. Um, A good way of thinking through risk. Can I stand by the basis to my risk if it all falls apart? I thought this could be God's. I was wrong, but I would do it all again. Um, And he used the the idea of a roll of a dice. I'm playing with a um, roulette table there. So just imagine, I bet my house on 11 coming up. And the ball lands on 25. I've got to stand before my wife and say... I lost our house, but I'd do it all again because I thought I could have heard God. I thought I heard God on it. Now, I've heard that a church can only learn one or two things a year, and by learn, I mean kind of absorb it into a changed DNA. So I've been asking myself, how do we as a church not just talk about spirit of adventure, but actually digest it? And we become adventurous people. To the point that others from the outside looking in and say, oh, lifeliners, they're crazy people. They're risky. They're adventurous. 
So one of the lessons that we've got to learn is how do we dissect or how do we conduct post-mortems on our risks? How do I review my decisions in hindsight? How I do it will influence how I approach the next risk. So if I come out of a risk going, well, that didn't work, not doing that one ever again, well, that was stupid, then I'm going to hesitate the next time my risk comes up. Next time I have a chance to bet on a number and that number doesn't come up, if everything flops, do we sulk and berate ourselves for being so stupid? Why would you bet your house on, on a number? It, it was against the odds. That won't help me to make, take my next bet. The only question I have to ask myself at the end of a risk is, did I think it could be God? That's all I've got to ask myself. Did I think that was God speaking to me? Yes, I did. Therefore, I'd do it all again. It was worth the risk. Now, let me give you my sample from, from last, last time. My son, Arthur, is five and a half months old, and his sleeping has been challenging. Um, we've looked at all kinds of things about environments and all the things that you can change, but apparently uh, the most uh, contributing factor is genes. I didn't sleep through the night until I was five, so I've been told I'm getting back medicine that I had given to others. But um, He's very sensitive to noise at night, um, and we use all of the space in our house to try and keep him entertained and, and interested and quiet. Now, a year ago, we booked with my folks to go on a canal boat. The thought being, yeah, this sounds like a nice idea. Everything will be settled by kind of six months in. Coming up the week before, Arthur was becoming more and more unsettled. His sleep was getting worse. And the thought of being in a confined space with an environment that was outside of our control, um, with an untried travel cot, no matter what they say, they don't guarantee sleep, and loud snoring shipmates, if you've ever listened to my parents snore, I mean, it could shake the building. With a temperamental baby, with a declining sleeping pattern, the thought of going on a canal boat the next week was not something that filled us with excitement and joy. And we did a lot of, mm, ah, we could do this, we could do that. And the week before, me and Lucy agreed that we didn't want to live our lives assessing our natural evidence that was around us and limiting what we did as a household, what we did as a family. We wanted to not limit what God could do. And so we proceeded on this, this point. And we thought, it's going to be worth a risk. I think God's giving us that position. So we, we went on a canal boat. And it was so, so difficult. It didn't work out the way that we were thinking, or, or at least hoping. Arthur would not be entertained for anything for more than five minutes. We had the jungle gym, the bumbo, the bouncer, the donut. He didn't want to be picked up. He didn't want to be put down. He was not interested in looking at the trees or Milton Keynes as we went through. <laughs> he wouldn't nap without being held. 
He didn't sleep at night. One night, Lucy just sat up the whole night holding him. And then to top it off, on our journey home, for the hour and a half, he screamed the whole journey home, only stopping the three minutes before we got to a service station. And we thought, okay, now let's press on. As soon as we went past that, Obviously, we had a nice time being together, and, and it, was, it was character building, all that kind of stuff, but it was tough. It was really tough. We risked everything on a roll on the dice, and from all assessments, we lost. Now, we could think, well, we should have looked at the evidence, and, and what, what were we doing? That was a stupid decision to go. We, we were crazy. Anyone would have advised us not to have gone. But you know what? I'm not sure if Lucy would say this, but I would do this all again. (laughs) I wasn't up all night, maybe. Because I thought we heard God tell us to position ourselves in a certain way. Maybe we were wrong, but I'm not going to spend time analysing and regretting. The question was, did I feel God say something? Did God position our hearts? He did. And I'm sure God's going to use that event to build something in us that I'm going to be grateful for in time to come. This was part of the spirit of adventure for us. Now, I just wanted to give you that story to give you a little bit of emphasis on what what does it mean to risk it all on a roll of dice. Now, I want to talk to you about heads or tails. And looking at this uh, bit in Deuteronomy. The Lord will make make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord, your God, that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be the top and never the bottom. God's promise that we are heads, not tails. But to me, sometimes, it feels like I'm tossing the coin to know which one I'm going to be. Sometimes I react well in a situation, I feel like a head. Sometimes I react badly and I'm a tail. How do I make sure that it's not on a toss of a coin that I position myself. Back in um, January 2007, Mark McGrath prophesied over me. And he said, you spend too much time worrying if you're going to hurt people or not with your decisions. Let me assure you, you will hurt people. You will make mistakes. You will damage people. But God's given you the grace to get over it and then the grace to heal from it. You want to be an expert swordsman. That's probably, is that the right word, swordsman? You want to be able to just unsheath your sword and and get it accurate. But that's the wisdom that comes with age. What you've got to learn is the weight and the reach of your sword, and you will make mistakes in the process. I hate making mistakes. I get very worked up when I make mistakes. I want to be that precise. I see... My dad walks into situations and he just says the right thing at the right time and he, he just dismantles the lie of the enemy in that situation. Like, oh, wow. All right, I've got to get it precise next time. And I don't always. But God's given me the permission to learn to use my sword. So let me just unpack what I think the difference between the attitude of a head and the attitude of a tail. So the attitude of a tail is paralysed by facts and evidence. We made a choice not to do that when we were getting ready 
to decide if we went on the canal boat or not. But we could have, oh, it, it could go bad, it could be this, it could be that. And we can be paralyzed by too much information and a fear of, of what that information means. But faith is not about just closing your eyes and jumping into the darkness. Faith has a recognition that there are facts. It's not the absence of facts, but it's the presence of conviction. Again, the canal boat was that. We knew we weren't blind to the risks, but we felt God say something beyond the risks. With the, t- with the, with the tail, there's an expectation of impending doom compared to the expectation of impending hope or good. I think good could happen. That's how I'm thinking about this referendum. Whatever way you voted, I just have a sense that there's a God that holds the whole universe in his hands. And he can make something good out of this situation. There's too much focus on the roles that others have had over my decisions and my feelings. um, I'd gone through some uh, some challenges over the last um, 12 months. And I spent a lot of time complaining about what others had put me through and the decisions that others have made, and how now I can't do what I wanted to do. I put a lot of blame at others' doors. I was acting like a tail. But a head is confident in their ability to make their own choices. Yeah, okay. So, for instance, if we'd voted to remain, others, the way that democracy works, even 50.1% can tip the balance. We could spend our lives complaining but I can still make my own choices right now. And I can offer a lead even if no one's willing to follow. If we think, oh, I can only lead if people are willing to follow me. No, I can offer what God's given me to offer. That's my role. And I can do that. An attitude of of a tail is a victim of their circumstances. They react with uh, sulking. They're angry. They're defensive. And they, they hoard things, believing that they don't have enough. I don't have enough generosity. I don't have enough goodwill to give. I've got to hold all this stuff because I'm a victim of my circumstances. Whereas what God's called us as heads, we are more than conquerors. We can be solution-focused, and we can generously give what we've got because he's our supplier. Let me give you um, a little story about how this worked out for me. Um, Daniel's playing around with a laptop and stopped my clicker working. No, you, you've completely broken it for all the other children. Okay, all right. I was invited um, uh, for work to go on this marketing conference. Um, I'm not strong into marketing, not strong into social media and all this kind of stuff. I know, I know. I, and, and I, but yet, still, I value Anthony. It's, it's strange. Um, and I was sitting at the back of this room, um, all talking about ideas and theories of marketing, and I was sulking. I was in an ugly mood. In fact, I was doing my ema- emails um, and wearing my Mr. Grumpy face. I I didn't understand what was being discussed. I couldn't see how the discussion would lead to any action. It just felt like a lot of talk. 
I couldn't see how I could take on any more work than what I was currently doing. And I thought, we've tried all of this stuff and it, it hasn't worked. I was cross that someone hadn't sat me down and explained the purpose of the meeting and why it was important for me to be there. Forgetting the fact that I knew the meeting was coming up. I knew who was organising it. I could have asked them if I wanted to. So I was, I was really in a stinky attitude. And then this email arrived in my inbox. Very graciously, Avril emailed me saying, if you're doing your emails, <laughs> you are not in the room, which suggests you are negating the bit God has given you to be part of the team and keen to hear your voice. <laughs> Now, reading read it out loud, I'm, <laughs> it, it kind of overwhelms me a little bit because that's, <laughs> sorry, because that's God's attitude. She could have said, take your head out of your tail. She could have uh, been very angry with me. And I think she probably was a little frustrated with me. But there was a generosity of a God that says, you've got something more to give um, and so I was confronted with my tailness, and I thought, okay, I've got a choice here. And I chose to flip over from tail to head. And I said, okay, I'm going to swallow my pride. I'm going to recognize I could have done something better. I recognize my attitude sucks. And I can think, has God given me something to give in this situation? Can I be generous? What God, with what God's got for me, can I be solution-focused rather than sulking? So, how do I step into my identity as a head? How do I make a permanent move rather than it being a flip of a coin? i got to stop agreeing with the devil. You see, God has given me authority. Authority translates to weight. I've got weight to put into an argument, into a position. The devil has none. The devil has no authority, no power, no weight. But the only way the devil tips things in his balance is by convincing me to agree with him and then I put my God-given weight on his side of the argument. So the devil couldn't eat the apple and screw us all. All he could do was convince Eve to eat it. She had authority to set the place for well, her and Adam for all of mankind. He convinced them. He won them over and they took their weight and put it on their, his side of the argument. I've got to stop agreeing with the devil. I've got to stop saying, yeah, I am a victim. Yeah, there's nothing I could have done. It's all what they've done to me. We're going to be crushed if we step out in this situation. Right now, you watch the, the news any day. The devil wants you to put your weight on his side of the argument, which is we are all screwed. This nation is divided and it's going to fall apart. Now, this nation is divided, but it isn't going to fall apart because God still has a plan for this nation. And I want to be solution-focused. I don't want to be sulking. I don't want to be complaining. I want to be someone that God can use to put weight on the other side of the argument. 
to say, let's bring our minds together. And I'm so excited at this point in time because we have such an opportunity to talk of a God of hope that has, a, has love and has, uh, has a future for us. Now, whatever side, whatever box you ticked on Thursday, it doesn't matter. You now have an opportunity in your workplaces, in your families, amongst your friends to start talking about a bigger mandate than if we're in or out of Europe. But we can talk of a God that loves us, that has, that has our whole future <coughs> in his hands. And that's so exciting. That's the God that we know. The world is crying out for this God. And what a great opportunity in all of this fear that, that drives division. The amount of arguments are saying, oh, people that voted leave is because they're racist and judgmental which is a judgment in itself. Both sides are guilty of judging and arguing. I don't want to put my side, myself in either of those camps and make those accusations. I want to be saying, okay, what's the future? How do we rebuild our broken nation? How do we offer something? And each of you guys have the opportunity to bring that narrative to where you are. And it will stick out. It will stick out like a sore thumb because no one... No leader is bringing that argument right now. There is a void that we can fill by speaking God's word. The next thing I can do to permanently live as a head is recall. It says in Lamentations, Yet this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. So in Lamentations it goes on to talk about the nature of God's um, the, the, love of, the love of God, the faithfulness of God, the salvation of God, and the reliability of God. Those are the things that I want to dwell on. I want to commit to be part of conversations that promote those things. I want to be saying those things, dwelling on those things. That's what I want to be my... I want that to fit, and I want anything contrary to that to not fit when I'm talking. I want to stand upon his track record, even if it looks as risky as that, the, the, uh, the, the bit that sticks off the top of the cliff, but I can stand on that because I know that that's the safest place to be. I do that by taking a position of thankfulness and boldly taking God at his word and his nature. So many times we can look at evidence that forgets to promote thankfulness, that fails to say, what did God say? I'm going to put my lot on that number. I'm going to throw everything on the fact that if God does not come through in his nature and his, his word, I'm screwed if he doesn't. So let me throw everything in this and let me find him in the process. Maybe it won't look exactly as you have in your mind, it didn't for the disciples. They thought Jesus was going to lead a revolution and take out the Romans. But what they found was so much better. They found eternal salvation, not just uh, for a hundred years or whatever. So ask yourself, how has he proved himself to you in the past? And how, how will that help you project your future? 
finally, I'm going to step into my identity because I'm going to rest assured that I will not be crushed. It says in 2 Corinthians, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We're the heads, not the tails. We won't be crushed because we have a God that loves us, that is watching over us, that will not allow us to be crushed. One of my favorite bits in the Bible is when Haggai, who was the, um, the slave girl of um, Abraham and Sarah, after she's been bullied and she runs away. This is a slave girl that has no rights, no power, and she's run into the wilderness to die. And God turns up to her and she says, wow. You are the God that sees me. For she said, I I have now seen the God who sees me. He sees me. There's nothing that goes on in your life where you feel like a victim that he doesn't see you. There's nothing where someone's done something to you. He's seen it. He's watching you. And he will not let you be crushed. When, um, When I go off to work... I feel completely safe for Arthur's safety because I know Lucy is watching him. And I know her nature and her heart towards Arthur means that he is completely safe. We can be adventurous when we know that our father's going to catch us. When we're thrown into the air, we can smile and put our arms out because we know we've got a God that not only is able to catch us, he wants to catch us. Sometimes we can feel vulnerable when we, when, when, we're, when we put ourselves in someone else's hands because we think they could crush us, God could crush us. But when you read that he was crushed for us, that makes me feel so much safer. Someone that's willing to die for me is the safest person to, to have me in his hands. So I felt... God had spoken to me in January that this was going to be the year of building my confidence. And that prophecy that Mark had for me a few years before came back to my mind. And then this whole spirit of adventure thing seems to connect, connect with what God's saying to me. And so I'm risking an expectation of what this year is going to be like for me. Let me just show you, because I invite you to, be, to hold these same expectations. The first thing is... I believe I'm going to find myself completely out of my comfort zone and unprepared. I'm going to show you um, a couple of film clips. Uh, this first film clip is from um, a TV show called um, Quantum Leap. Now, the concept behind Quantum Leap is uh, Samuel Beckett, I think, Dr. Samuel Beckett, um, is in this kind of time machine that, that quantum leaps him back into people's, different people's lives and he suddenly finds himself there, and he's got to then figure out, what, what am I here to do? And he finds himself in some pretty difficult situations. So, Daniel. Oh, boy. Oh, oh. Oh, 
Okay, so, oh boy, here's his catchphrase. And so many times all along the place, he's finding himself appear in a situation and think, oh boy, I'm not equipped for this. I, I wasn't prepared for this. How did I end up here? I'm expecting that's going to be part of the spirit of adventure in my life. And I expect it's going to be in yours too. Now, I like to plan. I like to prepare. I don't like to throw my hat in the ring until I know what I'm going to say or how I'm going to work myself uh, out in it. I found myself um, on a letter that was sent to um, Nick Hurd, who was the uh, permanent secretary for um, the Department for International Development. So this whole conversation about uh, helping restore um, Ebola-stricken Sierra Leone um, there'd been a conversation going amongst some NGOs, and they said, let's put a letter together. And we said, yeah, go for it. And then I see that the CEO of World Vision, uh, CEO of uh, Save the Children, all these massive NGOs, and Jamie Singleton of Lifeline Network. How did I end up here? If I was Samuel Beckett, I'd be saying, oh, boy. Because then I had to go and present our position on it, and... If, if I'd known before what was going to happen, I might have slowed myself down and think, okay, let me get prepared here. Let me build a little bit more track record. I don't believe there's room for that in the spirit of adventure. It's also a little bit like Wallace and Gromit. Don't worry, Gromit. I'm right behind you. Sometimes it's going to feel like there's not a track laid in front of us. And magically at that point we find a box of spare track. And it's being laid that, that precisely before we need it. There's going to be examples in our lives where we're thinking, we don't know the next step. We don't, this looks like it's going to collapse. But then we find... Just step by step, something has been laid just before we get there. 
It says in, in Psalm uh, 37, 23, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. God is laying our steps just before we get there. And part of the spirit of adventure is we don't need to see it ahead of time. Another expectation for this year is I will have evidence that God has delivered his promise. Just like um, Noah sent out the the dove and it brought back that that twig as evidence that God has fulfilled his promise. But there there is a kind of a two-part role in this because in Hebrews it talks about Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. There is a connection between receiving what he's promised and stewarding our confidence. And I think that's going to be tested for me this year. That there's going to be times where I'm going to need to hang on to the things that I'm confident in, which is the fact that the nature and the word of God. I've got to choose those conversations, I've got to choose those positions that enable me to hang on to my confidence in him in order to receive the promise. But within a year's time, I'll be able to come to you and say, these are the things that God has evidenced to me, that he is a deliverer of his promise. Finally, I believe that God's going to give me a sense of invincibility this year. If you can't see that, that says there's a lump of coal talking. Um, uh, uh, Your dad's been under a lot of pressure lately. You know, coal into diamonds, yeah? Okay. So I believe any pressure only makes us more precious. I think God's going to build us through these times But when we keep the pressure on ourselves and our ability, we are not stewarding our confidence because our confidence has to be in him. So, we're talking about a spirit of adventure. We're talking about asking God to give us uh, a, a Holy Spirit discontent. We've talked about God showing us what it is to risk it all on the basis that it could be God and not spend time whinging and moaning if it doesn't work out how we want. And I've just been talking about we're called to be heads and not tails. The difference between a head is you rise up to the challenge saying, I'm going to be positive, I'm going to be generous, I'm going to be solution-focused, whereas a tail whinges and whines about what's not worked and what others have done to them. We've talked about the way to become a head by making decisions such as focusing on who God is, not agreeing with the devil, remembering his track record, and resting assured that we won't be crushed. And we're expectant this year that God's going to put us in situations that put us out of our comfort zone, that he's going to return on our investment, and that he's going to make us invincible through this. So my challenge to you in response to ask God to show you where you need to flip from being a tail to being a head. Once he's shown you to choose to flip and step into your true identity as a head.